Welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hello. We are also joined today by Nick Fine, user researcher uh, contracted to the UK Home Office, which I am told is a government thing. Hello, Nick. Hello. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, doing really good. Thanks. Yeah. So, so the the Home Office doesn't mean he's working at home. Uh yeah. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm working for for kind of central government. Yes. And 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 uh, he did tell us before we started recording that he can't talk about what he's doing. It's it was uh, by the way, it's just a very cute name that it's called uh, the 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 Home Office. <laughs> yeah, we, we think that's cute. They just think it's normal. No, I know. We've had we've had a couple of uh, people from uh, from from the UK on our podcast before, and they're always uh, very very charming and adorable. Um, all the 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 uh, strange strange uh, strange ways they they talk about stuff. Strange to us. That's why we invite them on. Yeah. The, the Home Office it it it's responsible for kind of you know homeland security and home UK domestic issues. I guess that uh, makes a lot more sense. Protection. Yeah. So way. it's comprised of a number of, of of units, but together we kind of protect the UK. So uh, we're bringing you on today because, uh, correct me if this is wrong, Susan, you stumbled across one of his videos that intrigued you. I didn't you. stumble. I didn't stumble through my wonderful feeds of social media. I stumbled um, upon a video. You know, actually, uh, and I definitely want to talk about that. But before we do, I just want to mention that Nick is a first for us because I think this is the first time we've had a guest on the podcast who we've never talked before. This is like our first conversation. Correct. Yeah, That's usually true. we bring on friends. So <laughs> yeah, it's just a bunch of her like, yeah, I'm not oh, saying you're an enemy. Remember, you know, <laughs> saying we were worked enemy. together on that one. I'm just this random guy that you dragged in <laughs> off of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just that usually we say, oh, yeah. We worked together 15 years ago, and now it's like, now I can't say any of that. So, so yes, I met with met in quotes. I'm doing air quotes, but you can't see. I sure. met Nick by watching a very compelling video that that he he made and recently uh, put up, and I found it, I think, through my LinkedIn feed. So, um, Nick, I think we should, uh, I, I have all kinds of questions I want to talk to you about, but why don't you tell us about the video for for people who and we'll put a link to it if you want us to at the, when we um, when we post the podcast and I write a blog post when we post them so I'll we'll put a link to it but what is the video um, why did you make it and uh, and why what is the rant that's in the video <laughs> oh wow okay so um, I made a video called UX psychology um, I. I bought your book, Susan, Neuro Web Design. I just checked it the other day, oh. today, in 2001. Um, yeah. It's on oh, my Amazon. Wow. On my Amazon. I, I bought How it and I was. That? I defended my PhD in 2009. I started working around late 09, early 2010 as a you know, commercial UX practitioner, a UX consultant. Um, because being a man of psychology, coming in out of HCI and into UX, uh, I was like, well, where's all the literature? And yours was literally the only one that was doing what you were doing, saying what you were saying and applying psychological principles and knowledge uh, to kind of design level thinking. Um, and it, it was mind blowing. It was an amazing, amazing book. And so for the past kind of 10 years or whatever it's been, um, I've been 
climbing the ladder of UX, you know, starting off as a junior, midweight, senior, lead, etc. And being frustrated by what I see, but keeping quiet because I was the junior, the midweight, you know, not the lead, not the senior, uh, and just biting my lip. But after, I don't know, it must be about 10 years now, I can't, I can't keep quiet anymore. It's bonkers, crazy what I'm seeing going on. Um, some really just, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, the message was, you're not the user. Stop having developers developing user interfaces. Um, talk to users, be user centric. And people were encouraging small sample sizes at like, you know, the five point sample thing of Norman Nielsen, uh, gorilla and hallway testing, you know, it doesn't really matter about validity, just talk to users. That in itself is a transformational change, you know. Um, but we're beyond that now. We're way, way, way beyond that now. And it's time for research in UX to kind of up its game significantly. Um, as psychologists, we've been brought up in a certain way uh, with social science research methods um, with, you know, rigor, validity, robustness, you know, cornerstones of scientific inquiry, should we say. Um, and psychology in particular, it being a social science, tries particularly hard, maybe tries too hard sometimes, to be a an established science or to be you know rigorous in its inquiry. Um, UX and the research, the commercial research that we're doing needs to be of a higher caliber, grade, quality than it is today. Um, so with all that in mind, I'm sitting there for 10 years, meek and mild or going through this, um, and then a couple of years ago, the UX UI thing came around. Everybody wanted to be a user experience person. And we saw art directors, creative directors, project managers, product owners, recruiters, you name it. Everybody wanted to be UX. And so many people came over from the traditionally uh, creative trades. Uh, they started to kind of define UX according to their own values and perspectives and tools. And there's so many people doing it that the actual, at least in the UK, from what I've seen, the fundamental perception and definition of UX changed from being a user-centric practice informed by research and, and user-centricity, completely away from that to a kind of designer-centric rock star, I know what users need, I'm an expert, let me put it down in glorious Technicolor. And that's happening today in in it's our whole market and i have a responsibility i think we all have a responsibility to say something to say this is not okay business commerce it it, it it's critical to do valid research if you're going to invest millions of pounds in a campaign in a product in a service uh, but yet i still have arguments with people on a almost daily basis saying well i did a five point sample for a major national product and it's like no you know, that's not okay. Five point samples aren't ever okay uh, for that kind of an application or for most applications. Um, so I made a video that said, look, I want to create a splinter group. I don't want to fight anymore. I want to be able to practice a user centric. I want to carry on with what we were doing in UX. I want to carry on a user centric behavioral design thing. I didn't want it to become a visual design, a wholly visual design thing. It was always a balance of both, but it's become completely skewed. So UX psychology was created to create a community, a channel 
a way of getting like-minded, psychologically driven, user-centric practitioners together to kind of become a force, become a thing, become a practice to somehow distinguish ourselves from UX UI, from UX design, from graphic design, visual design, all those design elements which don't do user research. It's not part of their process. So that's where we're at, and that's why I made the video. It was really a kind of a responsibility, a culmination of frustration. Just needed to get that out there because I know that there are other people who feel the same, and clearly, Susan, you do. And so I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I've kind of, you know, broken the ice. I've said the unspeakable. <laughs> let's <laughs> now build upon that, and let's let's talk about this. What can psychology genuinely offer UX today? because it's got everything to offer. And as I said in the video, psychology is the science of UX. And there's a lot and lot of art and design out there. There's not a lot of science. We need to balance those scales. So that's where I'm coming from. I like that. Uh, Guthrie, I told you it was a rant. No. Oh, I didn't even rant on that one. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I thought that was pretty straightforward. I... It was very straightforward. Yeah. I'm being recorded. But strong. I'm He's strong. You know? He's not like saying maybe... Maybe this is true. It's like this is true. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've I've been doing this work for so long that that I, there's like this pendulum that kind of doesn't just even swing back and forth anymore. It kind of just it's, we need a better metaphor, Guthrie, because pendulums describe what you what what you're trying to say, and then I'll come up with a metaphor for you. It it's well if you imagine a pendulum that is swinging back you know yeah. going back and forth along a continuum. I understand what a pendulum is. Now the pendulum got got broken and instead of swinging back and forth, it's just swinging wildly from you know all over the place. See that? What but would that you be? said you needed a better metaphor, yeah, and then you used the bad metaphor. Why don't you? <laughs> why don't you just describe what you're trying? I just to say? described it. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, I've I've just seen. Things got you know in terms of in terms of what is UX, what is uh, usability, what is UI, which stands for user interface. So you have user interface design, and you have user experience design, and and, the, and then you have human computer interaction, which you mentioned, Nick, when you said HCI. And and you've been calling yourself um, a behavioral. I mean, we've basically stopped. <laughs> using UX anymore, and you just—you're a behavioral scientist now. I'm a behavioral scientist. Yeah, I don't even call myself a UX person anymore. Although obviously we do a lot of UX stuff, and we teach a lot of UX stuff, or at least we teach—we teach stuff to people that would call themselves user experience professionals. But yeah, the terms have become—and I love following the forums you know it's like what's the difference between this and this and this and this and it's like oh my goodness people were all over the place but yeah. um i do you know obviously i think it's well maybe not obviously but it, it, people who know me a little bit know that my background is psychology and then i have i i have started to use the term behavioral science even more than psychology because i think um Nick, that some of the new stuff coming out of like behavioral economics is really is really powerful and and Guthrie and not Guthrie is an economist and so he's more on that behavioral economics side. So he and I have discussions about you know 
<clears throat> when is something behavioral economics? When is it psychology? What is behavioral science? I mean, we're even like tussling over mm-hmm. those yeah. terms. But obviously, you know, we care a lot about applying what we know about people and what we know about people in um, uh, both from an individual point of view, which is what we tend to call the psychology, as well as from the situational point of view, which is what we tend to call behavioral economics, and um, and how that, you know, how what we know uh, impacts or should impact the way we, you know, what we build and how we build it, and 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 what the what the thing, the technology, the software, whatever it is, ends up being, and you know how it's going to be used, and that's just. Uh, uh, and it's been interesting to see, that's just our central message, and it's been interesting to see who's interested in that and how that changes over time, you know? Yeah, you know, so all the lines are, are blurring in digital. It just appears that way. Yeah, it's, it became it's, a buzzword. It yeah. Became the, it I became mean, the hot thing. It's definitely part of the evolution, you know, of, of UX. And UX was kind of softly defined because it didn't really have a strong hard definition and because you can use it uh you can talk about user experience capital u capital e in terms of um the area like you would do psychology uh but you can also everybody has a user experience you know uh everybody has a psychology and the word gets bandied around and a lot of people were using the word um as an experience and mixing it up as a profession if you know, know, what, know what I'm saying. So anybody has a user experience, therefore I can be a UX practitioner. Well, so it's that kind of logic. We do these, so we give workshops, right? We go into a company and we're giving a workshop on quasi UXE. So let's just, let's just say design for engagement, which is one of our more popular ones. It's a little bit of psychology and science and it's a little bit of a, a practical applicability, kind of a mix. And we're in these rooms at these companies and the people in the rooms are UX professionals who are well-versed in the field. There are like coders, computer people, engineers who, you know, just very math, science, you know, focused, dev focused, agile stuff. And then there's people who went to art school where if you Mm -hmm. show them any sort of math, anything, they'll go screaming from the room. So it's like... Like literally the most polar opposites of people are doing the same work. And they all have very different approaches. It's almost a bit like eight. I don't believe. See, HCI is this multi or interdisciplinary where HCI itself doesn't act. You know, it exists because of the contribution of the various professions or the various practices. Right. Um, So I was a psychologist doing HCI. Uh, you get computer scientists and it's almost like that same interdisciplinary model has come over into the commercial world where anybody can do UX from whatever practitioner standpoint you come from. But I don't think it, it doesn't translate well because in academia you can do that. What you're not doing is, is building, you know, agile teams. You're not hiring talent and staff, uh, which having it well-defined and common practices and methodologies enables you to do and it i mean i'm glad i'm not a hiring manager in ux these days because it's a nightmare it's really really hard because when i was recruiting uh 
going through portfolios, seeing super high fidelity stuff, but absolutely no process, no research, no nothing. Just look at the really cool stuff that I can draw. And it looked amazing, but it's never never been tested, never seen a user. Um, or it's tested the minute it goes live in production. Um, and those are, it's a difficult world to work in. So the reason why it's all about kind of refocusing ourselves is who is doing the behavioral design moving forwards? So, and so you talk about behavioral science. I, I see us or UX as the, pra the practice of behavioral design. Now, I'm not doing the design anymore. I used to be uh, as a full service practitioner. But now, because at least in the UK, UX is split clearly. Uh, and you've got user researchers and designers, or UX designers, UX, UI, that lot. Um, and they are all amazing with drawing stuff and you know producing solutions but they've got no idea about testing their work or in so there there really is a split i mean I, there is often a split here but i think in the us it's not totally consistent that the the research is split from the design you'll find there'll be some places where where um, you know the same people will they'll do spend some of their time doing user research and some of their time doing design um, and then you'll have other places where, you know, there's the user research group and that is separate from the design group. Right. So it, going back two, three, four years ago, at least in the UK, that's we had the full service practitioner model. You could call me a UX designer back then, but my role fundamentally included research. So mm -hmm. I'd spend almost as much time in the lab or in the field as I would do uh, in front of Azure or something producing mm -hmm. wireframes and a prototype to test and iterate. Um, I personally loved that world because you you know you're informing your solution through your research, you're generating hypotheses and ideas. I don't have to negotiate that with that with anybody or communicate it with anybody. Uh, all I have to do is make sure it validates well with the test audiences, you know, mm -hmm. so um, it's a much simpler life. But at least in the UK, there has been a clear split. There is no very few minimal full service practitioner roles anymore. Mm -hmm. um, designers that I've worked with in agencies um, and all the design studios, they're proper designers, amazing designers, but they're visual or digital designers. Um, science and validation and labs, it's utterly foreign to them it's not part of their workflow it's not part of their education and, and neither should it be as i've seen the whole po point about climbing the creative hill uh, when you go from junior to mid to lead to senior to uh, design director creative director it's all about cultivating that sense of art direction of that sensibility of you know of, uh, of a design sense um and you do it very much like an apprenticeship and you learn and you learn as, from your elders and peers as you move up. But UX or at least user research or user centricity is the exact opposite of that. It's saying, no, I know nothing. Let me learn everything from the audience. One is top down. The other is bottom up. They could not be any more polar opposites so, you know, have as, you, of methodologies. Have you been seeing, I mean, at least, and maybe, and maybe we are seeing separate, the same trend but maybe from different perspectives um i think we're seeing and i've said this before on the podcast more people are doing ux in quotes than ever before and at the same time there is less ux being done so um you know budgets for ux are gone in an agile dev cycle 
There is no time to do user tests. There is, you know, let's just do some A-B testing and we got to, you know, we're, we're got to go, 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 go. And so there's yep. no time and no headroom. Um, and so what perhaps used to be a dedicated, you know, UX department. Yep. Has, it, it does not exist anymore. Um, and that role has kind of been given over to, well, we have a de de design department and six, you know, two designers took a class on UX. <laughs> they could yep. just do the UX, right? Um, yeah. So would you would you agree with that? Are we are we just kind of describing the same thing? Well, I mean, I think most oh, I want to say hardcore, but I don't mean that. I mean, not even purist. Most old school UX practitioners are of the same opinion. If you're not involving users in your process, you're not doing UX. It's just that simple. You know, mm -hmm. UX without user testing is not UX. That's what I have on my Twitter feed. Um <laughs> there's no how can you call yourself anything user experience user experience if you're not talking to users the whole idea of proxy design you know i know what users want that's going back 20 years ago i mean um alan cooper wrote his book i think in the 90s uh you know the lunatics are running the asylum and his central point was developers are the wrong guys or girls to be to be developing the front end experience the user interface um and we're going back the whole the whole we're going back to kind of that kind of a time we're not developer centric but we're designer centric now designers are a million times better than developers in most respects in regards to this but they're still not the user and every time i mentor uh, a new a new recruiter a junior they want a, a playbook of ux they want me to be able to say it's almost like I could give them Susan's book, give them your book, Susan, and be like, look, this is the only playbook you're going to get. This is the closest thing there is. Everything else is all project based, audience based. You know, there are high level psychological principles which you need to translate and distill and apply on your project. But you have to work those out. <laughs> That's the whole point here. You know, I, in design, I think there become trends and ways of doing things and sorts of things. And we have that in UX to an extent. But actually, um, there are ways of doing things, if you know what I mean. There are ways that deliver results uh, that are user-centric that, that, okay, so let me put it this way. I get a lot of people asking me for kind of the answers to things, and like, like I'm the guru, like, like I'm an oracle. And I say, you know, I'm not the guru. I might have gone around the block a few times, but I haven't worked on your brand. I don't know your users. I don't know your proposition or your service or your product. Um, I don't have all the answers, but I do have the methods to get you mm. those answers, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's what I'm driving at here is, is there's no playbook, but, but psychology has got all the methods to find out all the gold, all the magic, make it happen. So you, so you want to, so you, you create, you're creating a splinter movement. Yeah, it's a shame it's come to that, but yes, it is, unfortunately. <laughs> I can't be associated with non-user UX. I, I don't want so to be a part of that. I just want to make sure I know exactly what your splinter is. So you, 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 you've, you've staked, you've, you put your flag in the ground and you yep. said, this is our land. What, what, what exactly are the borders of your yeah, new okay. republic? There's two, I guess, two key points. So one is to acknowledge psychology as a very valuable contributor to UX or psychologists um, and social science research methods. That's number one. Uh, 
well, there's three then. Number two is to distinguish ourselves from design-led, user-centric, uh, non-user-centric stuff. Um, and the third one is to say researchers, psych most researchers in the UK happen to have a psychology background. It's because it, it, it lends itself naturally to it. Um, is to say, look, researchers, we are going to be, we will be asked some very difficult questions moving forward by designers who we are going to need to support, be their servants. You know, it's not all in one anymore. Um, we have to up our game and we have to do that en masse together because it's it's not efficient us all work, making the same mistakes in pockets and silos. We need to learn together en masse and work out how do we adapt academic level research, social science research into a uh, commercial UX setting. So uh, case in point, um, in government, one of the great things that government does that the, in the UK we have the um, GDS, which stands for Government Digital Service. Um, and it's kind of like an overriding body which tries to standardize all the digital offerings throughout government. And that's a challenge and a half. And they've done some absolutely miraculous work. One of the most amazing things they do is, is we talk about user needs and pain points, but particularly user needs about the currency of what we do. You know, everything's in terms of user needs. We are not a commercial entity. We're not here for profit. We're here to serve citizens and to provide services as efficiently and nice and beautiful as possible, effective as possible. Um, and so for me, the question I have is, when is a user need a user need? Like what sort of sampling, what sort of sample size do you reasonably need for a government level service to consider, consider a valid user need from which you move forwards? Uh, is it three people in a sample of 10? Is it five? Is it, you know, what percentage are we talking about? Um, and it becomes a quite an interesting problem. Um, and so it's that sort of an, uh, uh, issue which we need to just work out and agree some stuff or iterate and learn and get better at doing. Because right now I've seen some absolutely horrible science, some shocking, terrible, bad stuff going on, not necessarily in government, but in previous gigs, previous jobs where people are drawing enormous conclusions from very, very small samples or very small evidence. Uh, and then the business is going on and doing some very big things with that information. I've seen agencies produce persona decks, which are nothing but works of fiction at great cost. And then the business using that and distributing it around the department, designers using it, web analysts, everybody using it to move forwards. But that's because some midweight somewhere just made it up and wasn't able to show the methodology. You know, this is serious stuff, very dangerous. We're talking multi-million pound stuff and wastage because it's based on very invalid insight. And it's a problem. It's a massive problem. I don't think industry even knows it's a problem yet. So um, where I'm particularly successful is, is I make my clients a lot of money or I, I achieve them their goals because this stuff works. And I've kind of kept it a bit secret to myself. It's like these are my secret tools. But for the good of digital and for all of our user experiences in all of our interactions, this needs to go high and wide and far and wide. I mean, it just needs to be baked into user experience. I very much agree. How do we get there? But uh, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. This, this, so the first step is UX psychology. I know it's not the greatest name. Uh, it's not cool. It's not very natty. I needed a signpost that spoke to people to who it needs to speak to, a recognizable signpost. Um, the first the first thing that I see is to basically stand up and say, look, we're here. 
We've been quiet. We've all been way too quiet. We've let design kidnap our entire profession because we've been too quiet. Typically, most psychologists that I've met, we're in it for the behavior. We love people and human behavior. That's what we find fascinating. We don't want to be managers sitting in meetings all day. We want to be in the field, in the lab. We want to be seeing behavior. We want to be doing our thing. Um, and as a result of that, most of us are quite, not quiet, but we're not, they're not massive personalities or outspoken heads of people doing the circuits. And so I don't know what's happened, but all the very, the bigger personalities and I guess maybe the more creative types, are, are, they're probably just more appealing. I don't know, or just louder. We've been too quiet. So the step one is be louder. <laughs> I, that's why I said, I'll be the lightning rod. I'll take the hits if somebody has to stand up and say this loudly and just get people together so that's one is identifying and kind of acknowledging ourselves and the value that we have which is it's undeniable <laughs> you know it's i feel like i don't know i just have to get this out there it's i've never felt so strongly or felt so sure of something in my entire life i've had 10 years of kind of my own hypothesis testing confirmed and confirmed and confirmed and once you have it confirmed and i've got a portfolio full of evidence of you know scientific behavioral design and testing works you know it delivers everything that you want and it's done it for me it should do it for everybody else so that's step one step two is we live in a world of fake news and misinformation uh and terrible source validity and people who just consume information without any care where it's come from or whether it's real or true or not um as a result of that, you've got what I'm trying to say is I firmly believe in the value of qualifications and certifications. And I think they are most valued in 2018 moving forwards or more, uh, as much value as they ever have been moving forwards, because we have to be able to validate who knows what. And it's becoming really, really hard out there right now with General Assembly and those sorts of uh, Linda and Coursera and all of those. Now, I'm not knocking them. OK, but. You, what you can't do and what I see happen frequently is you'll get an art director, you'll go on a course on a general assembly course for a couple of weeks or eight weeks or something, come out, be head of UX at a major brand and then start hiring a team of creative designers and they're building teams in their own image, if you know what I mean. And that's not UX or at least that's not what was there beforehand. So I, I want some kind of way of distinguishing those people who come from a user-centric background. So have a psychology undergraduate degree is a really good start. You know, um, unfortunately, what I think needs to happen is probably a generational change. Uh, it's not something that can happen overnight. You're not going to get a, a seasoned practitioner going back to university for three years or four years to do an undergrad. It's, it's unlikely. Um, I'd like to find a way of getting uh, a British Psychological Society or American Psychological Association uh, a diploma or something achievable that is all about social science research methods and that we can know that people know about validity and robustness and how to do solid research. Well, you know, it, an interesting thing would be, I mean, there, in the U.S. at least, I don't know if this is true in other places, um, people who have undergraduate psychology degrees uh, are have the lowest income of any other college degree. And, Wait, uh, what? That yes. can't be right. 
Oh yes. You are, you, are you sure you're talking? You're not. You're not talking about other um, science-based degrees. No, no. I'll sh- I'll share the data with you. I'll even post it. I, I you know, it's very strong data, um, and it shows that people who have an undergraduate psychology degree, only undergraduate. If you have a master's or a PhD in psychology, it's another story. But if you have an undergraduate psychology degree in the U.S., you have the lowest pay of anyone else. Lower that than has English? Any... Yes. What and the reason that... lower than history, lower than English. Keep naming them. If, mm. if, if for a four-year degree, and the reason is, I I believe the reason is, is actually there's not that many great jobs that you can do with an undergraduate psychology degree, and so. Um, one play, one thing, at least over here, Nick, would be to recruit all those people who are out there doing, you know, they end up in all kinds of careers that is not what they, you know, doesn't, doesn't even, may not even have much to do with psychology anymore, um, is to recruit them. I would, many of them may prefer to go into this work. Absolutely. And get trained on the you know, the, the digital user research part, they have the psychology background, they have that psychology research background, they'll have to be trained on not that, they'll have to be trained on, you know, the other parts of it. Um, I, I would think there's a lot of them. And we, we regularly get contacted by people who've had, uh, who've even had long careers in psychology, even with graduate degrees, who say, I... I I want to switch. I want to do I want to do psychology research in this area of user experience. So, I mean, if they're interested, I know that that the um, that the psychology people undergrads would be interested. You know, the interesting thing is that that usually what people say to me is, um, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology. I had no idea about this work, so I didn't. You know, I. It wasn't offered as an undergrad. Uh, I didn't have the option. You know, I'm finding out about it now after I've graduated, so I'd like to switch into it. Um, I, I'm involved in a couple of, at two universities, um, uh, or at least in conversation with two universities about getting training in this at an undergraduate level, like it being a, a major and a degree you can get at an undergraduate level. That's really unusual over here that you could do, that you can get an undergraduate degree that combines, you know, social sciences with um, digital technology. Mm-hmm. So that might help too. But I think in the meantime, we could try and recruit psychologists and then teach them what they need to know about the other the other pieces instead of I think going the other way around which is what we've been doing right we take designers and developers and uh, and try and teach them psychology which is not a bad thing I mean that's a lot of what my career has been that I think that's a good thing and I think we should keep doing it but maybe we should also look at the other side of it yes you know what on my first day of undergraduate psychology they were all of us green undergrads in the big lecture hall and i think it was dr hillary parman who is uh, a head of ux in michigan i think or she's with honeywell uh, she said to uh, the whole room um who here wants to do clinical psychology 
and you know, 80% of the room of 200 people uh, put their hands up. And she said, well, you know what, statistically, there's more chance, there's more likelihood that you're going to become accountants than you are clinical psychologists, <laughs> right? <laughs> Based True. on their data, right? right. And it, in, in, in retrospect, it makes absolute sense. We learned such brutal statistics that actually, yes, um, that, you know, being able to do animas and t-tests and all that shenanigans on paper uh, really sets you up. Now, these days, it actually sets you up more for a career in data science, believe it or mm -hmm. not. Yeah. Um, but what I'm trying to say is, is apart from the data science, at least from the model that I'm seeing here in the UK, you, coming out as a psychology undergraduate sets you up absolutely perfectly for a user research role, absolutely cleanly. You don't actually need to learn too much. It's more about just adapting for the real world and, and you know, the booking, uh, the, the practicalities of booking a lab and, and running a lab. But actually, most of that you've probably done on your undergrad. So we call them observation lounges at the time, but we spent a lot of time as an undergrad in the OBS lounge, in the UX lab. So, you know, back then it was all v VHS uh, and, and videotapes, but these days, you know, it's all digital and easy. So I'd say for, you could take a fresh uh, undergrad and put them in, a, in charge of a lab on their first day of work and be absolutely confident of the results or, you know, be quite confident of the results unlike today where it's that's not the same i mean we've all sat in labs either on on the the same side of the glass or the other side of the glass and actually kind of cringing at the way the facilitator is doing things um and whilst the client might be might be loving it inside you're thinking oh my god you know <laughs> this is not good um you're leading the witness everywhere it's effectively you know live confirmation bias in front of the marketing director <laughs> uh and it's a bit of a nightmare. Um, so, yes, I think there's, they've got a tremendous amount to offer. And this is not about alienating designers. I kind of want to say that on record because this is not me uh, versus designers. Um, we as psychologists moving forwards are almost certainly going to be servants, you know, to designers, to web analysts, to uh, to product owners, um, to business owners. You know, we're there to serve their needs, to investigate for them um, or to test their products or their their iterations. So um, I don't want to be bouncing off against designers. All I'm saying is, is that as as psychologists, we can do a great job for you. L you know, let us work with us on this stuff. It, I, it's difficult. And, and I think what you're saying is, is in America, this split is happening slightly differently. It sounds to me that you guys have a lot of full service designers over there, but they're just called UX designers. They're not called UX architects or UX consultants. Uh, in which case, my message could sound offensive or aggressive towards them because they are doing research. Um, it's just they're doing it under a designer banner. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, is I want to help mentor some of those people or teach them or support them to improve their research skills and so, and also to highlight psychology undergrads, you, undergrads or anybody with a psychology training is somebody to work with and to learn from because work together with them, there's a ton of benefit. Right now, um, it's an argument, unfortunately. And a lot, of, a lot of us, a lot of my peers don't want to have those arguments. So this is, this is the problem. So I have- So do you, yeah, go I, ahead. I was gonna say, I got, I got three, three points to say. Okay? Yeah. So the first point is that I did a little research 
And you're probably wrong about psychology being the lowest paid major, but it's there's an asterisk there. Um, if you so so the, there's the the best study is this Georgetown study that happened recently, um, and the thing is is that they actually looked at uh, subgroups of what your major was actually in, and I think. Um, if if you combine a lot of these low lowest paid majors into a larger group, then you can end up in psychology. So the ten uh, majors with the lowest earnings are early childhood education, which probably gets lumped into psych psychology, human services and community organization, also probably gets lumped into psychology, studio studio arts, social work, teacher education, visual and performing arts, theology and religious vocations, and elementary education. Uh, drama, theater arts, and family and community services. So those are the lowest, the 10 uh, majors with the lowest median um, earnings. But I could, but I think a lot of those get lumped into psychology, even though they are fundamentally different things. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We may have a battle of the, we yeah, may so have I'm a just research saying, study battle. <laughs> I, I'm looking at a great study, study against your research study. Well, I, Okay. I would do that at your own peril. So that's that's part one. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the the second part um, that I think, at least here in the states, what ha here's what here's here's what I think happened. Um, if you're going to be competent at UX research, and let's just say uh, you to to have a fundamental understanding of what research is and what a sample size is and to look at a project, to be given a project and to look at it from a scientific analytical lens. Mm -hmm. um, here in the States, you're probably looking at having a master's degree. That's so, so you are going to be an expert and you are going to be expensive on the payroll. Mm -hmm. All the people who 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 kind of came before me, who 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 were the big time experts in their field, and maybe the big senior researcher at the large company, they all got promoted to management. That's what happened mm -hmm. to Susan. She was she was a she was a top tier researcher. Blah blah blah. And then she spent a decade uh, being um, upper mid-management where she was man she was chief of technical staff and she was managing a bunch of people but she, you know she was just doing technical staffy things um yeah. and so i think a lot of a lot of the very skilled people who know what they were doing or uh uh Susan, dean barker perfect example um he he basically some company was like hey we need you to start our ux team go go be a manager so they're not doing the boots on the ground work. They got plucked from there. And then the company uh, was like, oh, we should probably do some UX stuff. But I could get this expert who has, you know, like $100,000 a year salary. Or I can get four designers who, are, who, who, who get paid like $40,000 a year and all of them kind of do UX. And, I'll, and I've just like saved a ton of money. So sure. I think that is... Susan, does that sound reasonable? Yeah, I think there's lots of lots of different forces at at work that have um, 
that have made it difficult for us to keep, uh, you know, researchers to get and or keep researchers who have, you know, understand the science um, and keep them involved in in projects. And and it's it's like I said, Nick. I think it is. I, I my guess is it is a little bit different over here. But I know we have clients. You know. Um, we taught a workshop recently and, and I'm always, I always ask the clients, you know, who's going to be there and what it, what is your objective and what do you want them to be able to do when they're done with the class? And a lot of them will say, you know, well, I have this team and it's the, like, it's the team that Guthrie described, you know, it's that combination. There's designers, there's developers, there's art people, there's, and she, they're the, you know, the, the people who they get the initiative we need to roll out new product X, you know, yeah. new, new software portal for this. And they're called, and they're called a UX team, you know, but what she said to me was, you know, I don't have anyone on the team that knows, really knows how to do user research. So she had a whole UX team and nobody, <laughs> or maybe That's, she said this she, is had, my point. she had one person and they who couldn't kind do of it all. Knew a little bit, yeah. Well, no, oh, I no, think no. that one person was what? pretty good, but what? you uh, know. Who's, uh, oh, I'm thinking of the uh, the the the. Don't say names. I, won't, I don't want to get names, in trouble. But the recent um, work we did uh, out in Connecticut. Yeah, that was. Major, that's not even the one major, I'm thinking no, of. No, I know. Yeah. Major company. Uh, yeah. They had, um, I think 900 employees that work on all these projects across a thousand yeah. different SKUs. They're just, you know, all this stuff. And yeah. they have, and if I recall correctly, their uh, UX research team was three. Yeah. So there yeah. was the three people who were getting the requests to do the thousands of, I mean, it just it, like, you know, they couldn't even do a fraction of it. Well, and I don't know if it's, yeah, but, but doesn't that partly say that the organization doesn't, understand or what ux research is or and or it. doesn't value it very that's highly that's been the argument for 30 years for more than the, 30 that, years the, when you started doing ux stuff the whole point was the, like this you should care about the user experience of what you had right. you have better products right. that was, see, in the I 90s what that's what you were saying somehow what nick is saying is somehow somewhere in there and and, and somewhere in there UX, you know, we would say you should care about the user experience. And what we meant by that was... <laughs> you, you make need, money! Yeah, it will be well, good. What, what we meant was you need to care about the users and you, you have to have a methodology in place that guarantees that you will get feedback from users and that you will iterate your design based on your research and that you will test your design based on real people, you know, the real target audience. I mean, we had this whole thing of what we meant by that and somehow that got they heard ugly interface <laughs> no no, they no heard... but seriously so so how many projects have we done um yeah. where uh the reason we were brought in was because a competitor it, this you know some industrial portal that has a be that has what we would call an ugly interface and yeah. the 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 top brass the the competition rolled out this nice pretty ui that wasn't okay. ugly and didn't look like it was from like 2004 and yeah. they started losing business 
And so they said, oh, we need a good user interface. But what they were actually, they didn't really mean like a user experience user. They literally were just meant it needs to look modern so that it sells. Right. Well, you know, okay, years ago, I remember this one, um, and and to me, this is, you know, to me, user experience or design is so integrally um, in woven with psychology that, and that's just because of my mindset, and that's my own, you know, confirmation bias. And um, I remember many, many years ago, I had... Uh, I had put out some new marketing material at the website and probably in print because this was years ago and you did a lot of things in print. And um, I was all of a sudden I started getting like a lot of calls for consulting work in and, you know, people would say, oh, yeah, we heard that, you know, you do uh, interface design and we want to, you know, please come in and consult. And I would show up. And I do my usual spiel, you know, about, okay, here's what we need to do. And, and yet I, I, would get, I got this string of clients who all looked at me and said, well, no, we don't want to do that. You know, we just want you to design an interface. Yes. And I, and I they said, wanted her to be you, the big shot designer. Yes. Comes and in. I said, you want me to design a, a, a usable <laughs> interface? And they were like, well, just it, design it an interface. Pretty. Yeah, exactly. We, we get that all the time. And it, and what I realized was <laughs> I had put when I changed my marketing material, I had I had started using the term interface design, which was a very hot term back then, and I had inadvertently left out the usability or the usable or the user part of it. I mean, I didn't mean to, because to me, interface design, it, the you know the word usable or user is in there, but I, it didn't say that in my brochure. And, and it was like, oh my gosh, you know, these people, I mean, I don't, nobody was really going to say out loud, no, we don't care if it's not usable. I mean, they weren't going to say that, but they, I think they, they were don't, thinking They didn't see the that. value and they didn't want to spend the money. They didn't, they didn't, not only did they not want to spend the money, they didn't want to spend the time. They thought sure. that was all like a waste, a waste of time. I, I would have clients say to me, you know, well, no, we don't have time for that. And we're not interested in that. Like, and the that was, could we um, discuss and research who the target audience is? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, we, yeah. We'll tell. We'll tell you who the target audience is, and yeah. and you know, have you done? Do you have research about who they are and what? No. No. But they don't. You know, don't worry about it. So I put. The, I changed my marketing materials, and then you know, I got a lot less work because. <laughs> <laughs> there, were, yep. there were more people that wanted something designed than wanted something usably designed. So then that was a that was a long time ago, but that was probably the beginning of this, you know, yes, of this exactly. curve. Yes, and it's, that's it's, exactly what it's happened. It's the same problems. It's just prettier these days. It, it is, and that because the the buying population just wanted a solution rather than the the inconvenient user research part. Uh, everybody, all the designers have been snapped up doing UX UI. They've just ch chucked UX UI in front of it, and they've there's there's business for them. Um, it started off that they, they were actually known as wireframe monkeys in the UK. Uh, it was the UX practitioner who just went straight to solution, went straight to Azure, started making wireframes, and that's what they were known as uh, in the, in. And it became an absolute nightmare. But the point is, is 
this isn't about keeping your users happy uh, in terms of management and buying this stuff. This is about achieving their corporate goals of revenue, transformation, uh, attitude change, behavioral change, whatever that is. Um, that's the message that we need to get out there in the world today now is that user research isn't a costly, time-consuming pain in the neck. It's what you need to do in order to drive the value or to, to get to the goals that you that you want to do. It's just that straightforward. It really is. Um, in addition, unfortunately, when user research became a bit of a buzzword a few years ago, when you you know you had Forbes and TED and all that sort of stuff going off about user research, <laughs> uh, uh, all the agencies quadru you know they made a fortune. They made an absolute They're killing. They're still making a killing well, by now uh, doing the UX designing in house. Yeah, no, but they're no, but they're making a killing by doing the UX research outhouse in, in the agencies. And right. honestly, I've seen bills come in for twenty-five, thirty grand for like an eight-user sample. Now that's English pounds. That's a lot of money for not a lot of users. Um, and so, you know, it's very difficult to justify that in a budget to do that regularly. And so they've made it really, really difficult. And to do it in-house is difficult because the skills aren't out there. And at least in the UK, all the clueful user researchers are actually working in government. So it's really, really hard to find the skills in the wild, which is why what Susan is saying is we need to let the kind of the low paid psychologists who are graduating, let them know that there's a beautiful world here for them where they can fit right in and earn value for themselves and for the industry. I think we hear a lot of people who say they can't get good talent. That there's a there is a, um, and Susan, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that there is an avalanche of entry level design UX folks, and there's just but there's no there's no experts to be had. Yes, and we need more mentors. We need more mentors. I don't know. I I'm still concerned. My concern is. And I'm thinking, I mean, my brain is going here, and so I don't have an answer, but I definitely want to think about how do how do we, um, you know, if you look at, if you, how do we elevate the user research piece to, to the place where, for instance, um, you know, m marketing analytics is or data analytics, you know, where it's just, you know, everybody wants it. They're willing to spend an enormous amount of money mm -hmm. uh, collecting the data, analyzing the data, uh, you know, visualizing the data once it's collected and analyzed. And and uh, uh, we need, you know, somehow we've got to elevate the user research piece to that level so it can get the funding. Mm -hmm. uh and and I mean I, I you know I don't think I don't think the problem is we don't have enough people I don't maybe I'm wrong I don't think the problem is we don't have enough people who could do the work or could learn to do the work I no think we don't I don't yeah I don't I think the people that are making decisions about um, d creating new products and uh, and services. Are, are don't aren't seeing the need or the so, value. So I know what the problem is, and I can tell you, you the do? problem right now. Yeah, I can tell you the problem what? exactly right now. What? Um, the problem is a problem of translation. So when you get the whole point of the big, like you get all this data analytics stuff yeah. about 
and you learn all these things and and you can you can you know you'll pay for all this data on which shelves are stocking this and that thing um so if you when you do let's say you've done the best user ux work the world has ever seen right and you know exactly what the personas are or whatever the takeaways are that you're trying to get to that's great but then your design team has to translate that or mm -hmm. translate that into a good thing and that is very difficult to do if you're just talking about seo and you're a corporate level you know bigwig the the people roll in they say hey we you, you give us a bunch of money we'll change your search items and you'll go from here on the search to here on the search and then you get more clicks or if you go to the marketing people it's like well if we put you know we did a bunch of research and it turns out if you put good looking people in an ad then more people will click on it and they're like ah here's your fifty thousand dollars go have fun um <laughs> yep. uh but you know but in but with ux what what's the, the there's another step yes there is and, right and and that's where they they don't see the value because to them to to the people who are making these decisions what's the step the step is the design group so they see good design group equals good outcome right and so the the idea that well the good design the design group takes what happened in the previous step and then turns it into a good outcome is a step too far and is too complicated of a message for to, to see the direct link between the two. And I think that's the translation problem. Yeah, so here's, you're absolutely right, Guthrie. Let me extend your thinking just a little further because this is where I see UX psychology and psychologists elevating themselves in the same way that Susan has just said. Um, working, you talk about web web analysis or web analysts web analytics is all about seeing what is happening it's looking at your radar and seeing stuff going on what it doesn't do is show you behavior and it doesn't tell you why and that's the absolutely critical difference between user research and multivariate testing and a b and all the other stuff these businesses will spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on adobe experience manager and all the pro services to go with it but they won't consider the other equation other side of the equation which is the user research part so user researchers psychologists need to work much closer with web analysts because we're their investigators so they can look on their radar and say wow there's a big blob happening there there's something happening a big bounce on that page but i can't tell you why you know they can look at the page and you can look at with designers but you're guessing it's all opinion uh, and the only way you can really fathom that out is through multivariate testing and effectively intelligent guessing but actually, there's another way of doing that, and that is is getting in the lab, watching people using it, talking to them, you know, and trying to explain the analytics behave the behaviors, the spikes, the, the troughs that you're seeing in the analytics. So instead and of running a, towards the design teams, maybe our 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 natural allies are actually the analytics teams. Definitely, because they're much more scientifically based. You know, but actually our natural allies that it's like the holy trifecta or trinity is of the the designer, the web analyst and the researcher, because that's get those three running 
communicating well and running, informing each other. And that's how magic happens. You know, iteration involves the users. So I know, I know something that we're, I know something, Guthrie, that we're, we've been doing wrong then. Oh, well, so I never like to hear I'm, that because that means work for me. And I don't like that. I, 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 I want to try something. <laughs> I, mean, I want to try an experiment because um, recently and, and with a, with another client whose, whose name shall remain nameless. Uh, we were involved. We were brought in to uh, uh, add to a proposal. Yeah, I was. I was actually just thinking about that. And we were. And we. And it was. We were so the. We was, were the why. In the, we were the user research and yeah. the why. And there was a. There was another group that was doing the analytics and the what. And then the. And the idea what this this one company was pitching to the client and saying, okay, we're going to take the analytics, then we're going to take the user research and it's going to tell us why. And then, you know, we'll put that together and we'll have these amazing answers for you. And we were asked to put together a proposal on the why without knowing anything about the analytics part, like how, what they were doing or how much money they were spending. And we bid it too small and too low we need to be if we're gonna if we're saying there's the what and here's the why we've got to i mean our bids need to we we need to do huge studies we've been we have been too timid recently because we are feel that people don't get it and they don't want it and all of that i think we need to go back to the day when when you know, and and the, I did have these days in the past where I would bid these large research projects, you know, with full statistical analysis and the the whole thing. I think maybe we need to go back to that, and that might help elevate it, right? Because Definitely. if you're if you're spending, uh, you know, half a million dollars yes, yes. on the analytics and 10k to get the data on five people. It's what, mad. It's what's insane. the client supposed to think, though? If that's yeah. what you know, so that's so Guthrie, we're gonna we're gonna change that around. I, Nick, this is fascinating stuff. Obviously, you know, we think it's interesting. I have no idea whether our, our what our listeners think. I hope they will. I hope they will uh, email us. I don't us. care about our our users. Oh, stop! <laughs> I, just, I just I just do this for for my own personal. Stop uh, it! I can't stand it. Nick, uh, we yes. have uh, we have managed to further away more than an hour, which uh, does not surprise me. If people want to get hold of you and they want to, uh, well, I said I'd put up the link to the video, but if they want to get hold of you and and so on, what is the best way for people to reach you? It's probably on LinkedIn. Is probably the easiest way is to uh, you know friend me up on LinkedIn, or I'm at Doctor Fine on Twitter. Uh, is and, another and way to get hold of me. How, what 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 is the LinkedIn and how do you spell it? Uh, I'll tell you what. I will give that to you guys after this. Yeah, I'll yeah, yeah. Okay. And also, I would love it if people would look at and subscribe to my channel, the UX Psychology channel. It's not my channel; it's our channel. Uh, and there's an introductory video called "In an Introduction to UX Psychology," which I kind of just spill my guts for 20 minutes uh, with a structured presentation as to the logic behind all this thinking. And it's very good. I, oh, I, I mean, that was why I contacted you because I saw the video. So, 
Hey, um, fun conversation. I, you got me thinking now. This is dangerous. Just ask Guthrie. He does not want me thinking. He just wants me doing the work. Yep. Um, I, no, th- no. Just, just no. keep, just keep pumping out that uh, work product. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my job as the Wrangler. Over here. Well, just Nick- say the word, and I'll be on a plane to to Minnesota in a, in a, in a heartbeat. <laughs> Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Sorry. Doesn't matter. And, or Chicago. Place. Or Chicago. I live in Chicago, Chicago. So. I'm in Wisconsin. You go go to Chicago. I'll meet you down there. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, yeah. If, All you, right. if you're ever Thank working you. on manifestos, let us know. We'll we'll chip in. Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. It's been great. <laughs> Thank you so okay. much. Bye. 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 Bye.